One of the most popular ways that the New Testament speaks about the Christian life is as a walk. This shouldn't be surprising since Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. This summer at Holy Cross, we're looking at how we are called to follow Jesus. What are the distinctive practices of the Christian life? Why do we do those things? And how does the perfect and finished work of Jesus change how we approach living? Join us as we take a sustained look in the scriptures at The Walk. You got a Bible the book of Romans to the New Testament. Uh, kids age three, kindergarten, and head down to Holy Cross kids. If you don't have a Bible with you in text in your order of worship, or um, if you don't know a Bible or a couple on the back table, it's good to have it in front of you while I'm talking so you know I'm not making stuff up. Uh, I know that's what we often think of preachers. So it's good to have it in front of you. Let me just say something else. It's good to be back. Um, thanks for the ability to take some time off my family. This congregation loves We've been spending the summer, which is fading. Uh, sorry, kids, you got like two weeks. Uh, anyway, the, the summer's fading. We've, we've, we've been spending the summer looking at the central actions of Christian faith. What is, what is it that we as Christians uh, do that marks us out? We've looked at things like prayer, right? We've spent the last two weeks doing that with guest preachers. Uh, we, we, we look at prayer, we look at attending God's Word, uh, reading it, studying it, hearing it. Uh, we look at repentance and faith. We look at a lot of these things. This week, we look at the reality that God has formed us. He's created us. He's crafted us to serve. To serve. That, that worship of God, and I don't just mean when I say worship, I don't just mean in here, but I mean in life. That worship of God has a, has a horizontal focus. We seek to be the blessing to others that God has blessed us to be. This week, we look at walking in service. So we have your place in the book of Romans. Stand. It's our habit and honor of God's word to stand in the authority of the word preached. Uh, in Romans 12, we'll be reading verses 1 to 13. It's God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable, perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to grace given us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. God's word us be my Lord. Can you pray? Lord, as we come before your word, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, we need you to speak to us. We ask boldly that you would show us your glory, that you would preach your gospel to us, and that you would uh, work in us so that we might be receptive to it. Lord, would you let Christ's cross come to the floor, let the one who preaches fall to the wayside, Lord, that you alone hold the words of the 
So we pray this in the kingdom. Have a seat. We have time to get to you this morning. I want to jump right in if I can to walk through this passage. So uh, we're, we're going to look at this text this morning in two ways. Um, if you want to take your outline out, pray. If not, don't worry about it. We're going to look at a committed worship and a committed service. And it, it, that kind of spins off of um, kind of that old, I don't know if it's a Aesop's fable or whether it's just some kind of corny farm joke. But uh, if you've read the story of like the chicken and the pig who are, who are hanging out um, one morning a little nervous about the fact that, well, the pig's a little nervous. The chicken's really excited because it's, it's morning time. This is the time to get to serve the farmer. He's going to come and he's going to want breakfast and this is great. It's, we get to do it to fix I mean, if you could sweat, it's a big But if you could sweat, you'd be sweating. He's thinking, no, I, I don't. I know I should be excited, but I'm not really. She was like, well, why not? I said, well, if you see, you're involved with breakfast, but I'm committed. Right? So, you know, bacon ham, that, that's not something the pig can do mildly. It, it comes uh, at a cost. And, and to some extent, that's what, that's what this passage is about. It's about the cost of being committed to service. So let's start with the issue of worship there, because that's what Paul does. Look there first one thing can. This passage is one of a few in Paul's letters, and if you're not familiar with who I mean when I say that, Paul is an early Christian, uh, one, of the, one of the first Christians, as a matter of fact, and, and an early follower of Jesus, and a leader in Christ church. He's called an apostle, so Paul was not always excited about the faith. Um, we can get into his life story, we don't really have time this morning, but all you need to know right now is that he was an early Christian apostle. And this is one of the few places in his letters where he talks about this new Christian community, this new gathering of people that we now call the church. And, and he talks about what life should be like in that community. What it should look like for people who claim to follow Jesus. And at the outset, what is important for us to get is that what is coming, verses 3 to 13 specifically, these, these, um, this teaching, this commands that he gives us, what to do, that verses 3 to 13 come organically out of these two verses. In other words, you don't get verses 1 and 2, you don't understand those, you have laid that foundation, the rest of them we're going to miss. We're going to not get it. So listen close if you can. Paul says, this literally says, Therefore I appeal to you, which when we say appeal, we think that means like a, 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 a pitiful plea, like please come help me. It's not. It's a, it's a command. It's an exhortation. I exhort you. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you now to do this, commanding you in fact. It says, by the mercy of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Right. Stop there. We're going to get to that last phrase there in a moment. But let's be honest, if you're not a Christian here this morning and you hear this talk about um, like offering yourself as a sacrifice, that just sounds creepy. Okay? Like, let's be honest. It sounds kind of like Jonestown and Kool-Aid. Like, that, that's not what's going on here, but that is what it sounds like. Okay, so follow me here. This is vital to all of Paul's argument in this passage. Because Paul's readers, his first readers, the first ones who were actually reading this letter, they, they would have gotten a little bit more of that because they would have been more familiar with the Old Testament. You and I, even if you've been a Christian a long time, you're probably not as familiar with the Old Testament as, you, as, as probably these people were. That was their own revival. Uh, language of sacrifice or, or offering or, or this idea of being holy and pleasing, this language was common in the Old Testament, specifically as regards to God's temple. To get at what all that means, we have to go right away to the story of the Bible. Okay? The Bible says that you and I were made for something different than what we normally experience. We were made for something different. We, on the one hand, we were made for God. We were made for a dependent relationship with Him. But, but right there in the beginning, we broke that. We turned away from Him. We betrayed Him and went our own way. 
And, and you and I know, because we've been to trail, you know that the trails are real things, and they, they don't just make imaginary events, they, they actually happen, and when they happen, they bring with it real things, like guilt. It was no different with us when we betrayed God. We betrayed God, and we became guilty. What Paul says even earlier in this very letter, in the book of Romans, is that he says in chapter 3 that what we have earned because of our betrayal, that's what, that's, that's uh, excellent about sin, what, we, what we've earned about our sin is death. Okay? And, and in the scriptures, death is giving us exactly what we want, independence from God. We wanted independence from God, and so the, the judgment on our betrayal is fine. You can go that way. Have what you want. Which the Bible eventually calls a, 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 a separation from God that's called hell. It's permanent. But the other thing that betrayals do is they create alienation, right? When you betray someone, that relationship is fractured, it's broken, and there's mending that has to go on. When you betray someone, you break relationships. The same was true here. So we are now, by nature, not just guilty, but we are separated fundamentally from God. We are divided from Him. We are independent of Him by default, right? We don't have to be convinced or choose to be independent of Him. That's just kind of, just kind of how we are, how we are by nature. And in fact, we're stuck in that. That only makes sense because you can't fix your independence problem on your own. And so we're, we're stuck. But God promised to make things right. Right there in the beginning, he moved towards us while we were literally walking away from him. He moves towards us and he says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to take care of your betrayal of me. And so he, he chose this dude named Abraham. He told him that through him, he would fix this whole mess. He would restore humanity to himself through Abraham and his family. Okay? And then as that family got bigger, it became known as Israel, and he began to give them practices, things that would point ahead, point beyond themselves, to kind of paint a picture for them of what it would be like when God finally came to answer his promise. And one of those was the system called sacrifice, this thing that happened in the temple or, or the tabernacle. Now, those things were never intended to actually deal with the betrayal. Right? The writer of a, a book in the New Testament called Hebrews said the blood of gold and goats never could actually deal with sin. It never was meant to, it was meant to point ahead. And Paul is drawing on this language, calling them to offer sacrifice like priests. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, you all are now priests, offer sacrifice like priests. But there's one difference though, right? You saw that, right? Because he calls them not to offer some bull or sheep or whatever. He tells them to offer themselves. I mean, what is up with that? Who's ever heard of a priest offering his own body? Well, in fact, that's where the Bible's the story that we've been talking about finds its fulfillment. You see, the sacrifices, like I said, the Old Testament were never meant to deal with our betrayal. They were to point to something more, and that is where Christians believe Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus, because we couldn't restore us to ourselves, God in Jesus came to deal with our sin. Came to deal with it because you and I can't make up for a betrayal. You know this. You can't make your betrayal. We break relationship with someone, we turn away from them. We can't make it up. You can't make up betrayal of your spouse with flowers. You can't make up betrayal of your friends by giving them time on your DS. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't happen. Like here's my iPad. Now we're okay, right? I mean, not really. Okay, that's not the way things work. And instead. God came to us in Jesus to deal with our sins. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. And then he rose triumphantly. And he did it all as a substitution for us. That is 
critical because we deserve, the, the Bible is very clear, the only thing we deserve before God is judgment. We deserve it for our dependence from Him. But Jesus bore that for us. He was the priest who offered His own body for us. And this is what Paul means when he says, in light of the mercies of God. You and I did not deserve God coming to rescue us. We didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve Him loving us and dying in our place. All we did was betray Him, yet out of His mercy, He took our place in judgment. So listen, listen close. I need to check in. This is so key in Christianity. The Christian message is central around this. God owes us nothing but judgment. And yet. God owes us nothing, and yet. We lost it all. And so he paid it all so that he might give it all back to us. That is what God's mercy is all about. It is about Jesus, our living sacrifice. And now Paul says, in light of the fact that someone has given it all for you, give yourselves. He says this, it's your spiritual worship. Now, that's a difficult word to translate, but we translate spiritual, it actually doesn't mean spiritual in that way. Like, when you and I hear spiritual, we think like, woo, like, you know, ghost-like, as opposed to physical, right? That's what we think when we think spiritual. It's not what he means. It means more like um, logical or uh, appropriate your appropriate type of worship. What, what, is, what does that mean? When, when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, Paul says it is pleasing to God. You realize that, right? Protestants get off on this all the time. It is pleasing to God to offer worship like this because it is appropriate. It is what we were made for. What we were made for. We'll get more on that in a second. Okay? Let's keep going. Look down at verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing, there's that word again, and perfect. Alright, stop it. Here's the problem. When you and I hear, don't be conformed to this world, we think, um, march to the beat of your own drum. Right? That's what we think. As if Paul is like the first kind of non-conformist champion of, of, uh, of self-expression. Right? Not at all. The problem is that word world. Because you see, it can mean world. But oftentimes when Paul uses it, it doesn't mean world as in like the world around you so much as the age. Okay. The age. What does that matter? Here's why. Remember what I said about the story. When we betrayed God, we became guilty and stuck in our independence, right? And it's from that stance, listen to me, it's that stance of independence in each one of us, all working together, that has jacked the world up. All of us working together, our independent living from God has jacked the world up. And in Paul's, in Paul's thought world, they called that the collected, like, here's the what is broken with the world. They call it this evil age, or just the age. This is the age. It means living separated from the God we were made for. Here's why this is important. When we think of conforming to the world, we think that the problem is outside of us. Right? The problem's out there. That's the pattern of religion, right? That's what all religion kind of teaches us, that the problem is out there, we're going to keep the big bad world out, and, and, and if we don't, it's going to come in and corrupt us. But religion teaches you. But see, the opposite of being conformed, Paul says, is being transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is infinite. Infinite. 
See, again, this is a huge difference in Christianity and other world religions. Religion will tell you that the problem is that you and I have to get better. We just have to get better. We're not good enough, and we have to get better, no matter how you define that. And, and everybody, uh, every world religion, every world system, every culture defines better a little differently. But the point is that if you can just keep the bad influences out, if you can reform yourself, whether that means by the teachings of Buddha, or by some kind of, uh, kind of new age self-actualization, or, or by following the Ten Commandments, then God, or the universe, or some kind of karmic cycle will like you and everything will go well for you. You just need to get better. But Christianity tells me the truth, which isn't that you need to get better. The problem isn't just your behaviors. Do you not have bad behaviors? Yes, yeah, you do. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But the problem isn't just external, it's also internal. See, we have bad behaviors, the Bible says, because we have a bad heart. This is what Jesus meant when he, when he was telling his followers, they were talking to him about things that would make them unclean. If I eat this, it's going to make them unclean, so you don't understand. It isn't what comes from outside of a man and goes in that makes him unclean. That's not what messes you up. That's not what messes me up. What messes us up, Jesus says, is it's out of the heart that comes all sorts of evil. Bad stuff comes out. That's what defiles you. From what's in here that defiles you. And so what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying to some extent, is that our problem isn't just external, it's internal. You and I can't fix internal. Trying to open heart surgery on yourself. That ain't going to go well. Our problem isn't outside of us, it's in us. We don't need reforming. We need rescue. And so what Paul is talking about here is being transferred from an existence marked by being under God's judgment, by being alienated from Him, to one of being reconciled to Him and knowing Him. And this, the Bible claims, controversially I know, can only come through faith in Jesus. You cannot, I cannot make ourselves better. God's not looking for better. He's looking for dependent. And He has given us Jesus to depend. Now that brings us to the idea of a new image. Everything that Paul is about to say about serving is grounded in this idea of offering yourself as a living sacrifice in light of God's mercy. It's all grounded in the idea of being transformed by the renewal of your mind. So let me draw these strings together. You and I know this. Everything that is in us, every bit of our being, tells us that we need to take care of ourselves. That you and I have got to look out for number one. We've got to get what we can out of everything, whether it's the church or our jobs or our city or our family. We need to get, 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 because if we don't get, who's going to get it, right? That is why this idea of offering yourself as a sacrifice sounds so crazy. Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever give yourself in that kind of way? And Paul would tell us that this sounds crazy to us, because we are living according to the former age. Because we have been conformed to the world. We have been conformed to this age. Because you see, Jesus shows us both the life we were made for and the only way to get there. Paul says to us, he says, give of yourselves the same way that Jesus did. But see, the problem is that you and I will never do that on our own. We will never be free to give totally of ourselves, unless we are convinced and trust that someone has given themselves totally for us. 
to their truth. You and I will never be free to totally give of ourselves unless we are both convinced and trust that someone has given themselves totally for us. We will never be free to serve unless we are convinced we have no reason to serve ourselves. Now, some of you in your heads are right here arguing with me, right? You're like, Rick, I, I help you all the time. And I do. I know you probably way more than I do, honestly. Uh, but my question would be, why? Why? You know, because some of us do it because it's the right thing. It's the right thing, and I do the right thing. Right? That's why some of us help other people to serve folks. That's great. It's the right thing. It's good. Right. So I just do it because well, it just makes me feel good. I feel good when I help other people. And so like, I, you know, it, it seems right because it feels good, and so I go do it. Good. That's great. And, and then some of us do it because, well, or it, I mean, I help people because I've been given so much, and they have so little. And it's just right for me. I mean, they've been given so little, so I need to come help them. Okay? Listen. I am not down on your serving, and I am not busting your chops. Not, not about that. But, um, all I'm doing is telling you that if any of those three are your reasons for helping others, you are still in bondage to yourself. Listen. You are still seeking to get something for yourself, whether it's a good record, because I do the right thing, whether it's a good feeling, I like to feel warm fuzzies. So do I. Yeah. Or, or it's, it's just dealing with your guilt. Appeasing your guilt, like, but I, I've been given so much, they've been given so much, that's not fair. I need to help them. Okay? You want a good record, you want a good feeling, you want to deal with your The problem is it's never enough, isn't it? You can never serve enough to get a good record, friends, because God's not looking for good, he's looking for dependent, and the record's not going to help you. Feelings are fleeting, right? You feel good, and then 10 seconds later, you're on your way grabbing over. Yelling at somebody who cut you off and thinking, great, I gotta go serve some more to feel good again. Or, or, or the problem is that no amount of serving can make up for what you and I have done. You can't deal with our guilt by helping other people. It doesn't take away what we did. It just shines it up real pretty well. Okay? But if you place your faith in Jesus, you can be free to serve. Because Jesus has given you his record of perfection before God. You don't need your own. Because he has filled you, not with warm fuzzies that will be fleeting, but with the one thing you were made for and longed for, God himself. And because he has actually done something with your guilt, he has nailed it to the cross in his own body and borne it before God. When we trust in him, we are then free to take on his resemblance. This is why Paul says it, it pleases God. I get it. I know that that's a struggle for some of us. It actually does please God. Why? Because imitation is the best form of flattery. Right, listen, one of my favorite times at the dinner table the last few months, I've been embarrassed because she's sitting here. Like, uh, we're sitting at the dinner table, and, and I'm, all I remember is I'm sitting here, my daughter Becca's at the other end of the table, and we're, we're sitting, I'm saying something silly, I don't remember what it is, and she just looks at me, she gets that look at her face, she's like, dude. And I'm like, that's my girl! <laughs> like, she learned the nuanced forms of the word dude. Awesome! And it pleased me. Even though she was kind of calling me out on being silly. Like, why? Because she's like me. She's trying to be like me. Imitation, best form of flattery. That leads us right to what it would look like. Look at verses 3 and 5. I'll get a committed service. Paul begins with this. 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but instead, according to the measure of faith God has given. Now, this can be confusing, so follow What Paul is getting into here now is, okay, he's, he's told us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Go look like Jesus, and now he's going to say, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it's going to look like to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, as Jesus did. Now, remember, when I say that, when I say Paul is saying, offer yourselves like Jesus did, understand it. He's saying, and I'm saying, not in the same way. Because look, when Jesus offered himself as a living sacrifice, it was to bear sin. And you and I cannot do that. Right? Because we have our own sin. Hard to bear sin when you've got your own. Jesus didn't have it. It's helpful. You know? He could bear yours and mine because he didn't have any of himself. What he means instead is on the matter of principle. Jesus offered himself as a living sacrifice so that you and I could flourish in a very unique way that can never be repeated. You and I are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to see that other people flourish in ways that are very Okay? Basically he's saying this. He's talking about showing Jesus to other people. Now that you've encountered Jesus, now that you've come to know Jesus, how are you going to show him to others? First he says, understand who you are. Because one of the most tempting things as a human, I think, maybe it's just me, uh, is to begin to rate ourselves according to other people, right? To begin to stack up and go, well, how am I doing? Well, I'm doing better than this person, but not as good as this person. So I, I'm somewhere right in here. You know, even among Christians who claim to believe that everything we have is from the hand of God, we still rank ourselves against others. And Paul says, look, don't think too highly of yourself. You're no different than anyone else. Remember what you are trusting in. Okay? That is what he means when he says, uh, uh, by the measure of faith that God has apportioned or, or as God has given, what he doesn't mean is that God assigns some of us a little bit of faith. And then some of us a lot of faith, as in like there's some kind of ranking system, like I've gotten my first class Christian merit badge and others of you are still in tender foot. You know, like that's not what he's talking about. He means God gave you the faith in the first place, and so measure yourself in the same way. Paul says that in another letter, another of his letters, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, he says, uh, by grace you can say by faith. And even that's not from you. It's the gift of God. God gave you the faith in the first place. So that you can't boast about it. And so here he's saying the same thing. He's like, according to the faith that God has given you, remember what it is that you believe. In other words, remember, friend, not the things you have yourself, because there's nothing wrong with them that's not wrong with you. God had to give you faith too. It's just like getting you to so if we are to serve others in the image of Jesus, first and foremost, it is to be out of compassion and not out of condescension. To be out of compassion and not condescension, right? Condescension is looking down and saying, I have something for you. And if you would only follow me, it will all go well with you. But if you serve out of condescension, it will lead to three things. It will lead to self-righteousness in you. It will lead to shame in the person you're trying to help. And then it will lead to anger when they don't recognize your greatness for what it is. Right? That's what happens when we serve out of condescension. We need to correct our image and understand that all we have to offer others has been given to us by God. We are simply conduits. Conduits. Through which God is important. And then he comes to verses 6 to 8. Look there now. This talks about grasping our gifts. Paul calls us a body with members. Now, when we think of members, we think of like voluntary association, like I'm a member of the Kiwanis Club. Okay, in the ancient world, when you talk about a member of a body, he meant like a limb or an organ. 
Right? That's what a member of a body is. Let me be clear. Your liver is not a voluntary member of your body. If it gets up and goes out, it's going to be bad for your liver and bad for you. Okay? And that's the same thing he's saying about Christians. And some of us in this room need to hear that. Because we bounce around and we do our thing, we're like, all the really I'm I come to church to get my little fill, but all I need is me and Jesus. Paul is saying, do you not understand? You are a member of the body of Christ. If you are up out trying to do things on your own, bouncing from one congregation to another, because you're just, I just doing my thing, and everyone makes me angry. They just do church the way I did. Everything would be good. You are like a liver taking a walk on a sunny day without the rest of your body. You're going to shrivel up. Okay? Straight up. All right, now, let's get into what he's actually talking about. <coughs> These verses here get into something a little controversial in the church. Right? Because they get into this idea of uh, gifts. And the ESV translates the word gifts. Um, the, the Greek word is charismata. It, it means um, something that has been graced to you. Okay? In other words, something you didn't earn, something that's been given to you. Now, we're not going to get into all the controversy that much this morning because it just takes too far afield. But... Uh, Here's, here's the bottom line. Everyone here has certain things that just come easy to them, right? Let me give an example. Um, for me, one of the things that come easy is music. Okay? Now, I would like to tell you that I spent um, lots of time and money hiring people to teach me how to play things like guitar, piano, and all these other things that, that I play, or instructors that help me understand, but I, I didn't. I taught myself how to play guitar between my freshman and sophomore years of college. Uh, piano, I just kind of picked up, we had a piano in the house, I just kind of started filling with it until I learned how to play. It just, it just comes naturally, I'm sorry. Like, it just, it's just what it is. It just comes naturally, I don't really much have to work at. Some of you have certain things that are the same, but with things that don't come anywhere near as natural to me. Like, some of y'all, numbers make sense to you? That is literally like a foreign language. I don't get it. Science works, and I don't get it either. Like, those stuff makes sense to you. The point is, is that uh, none of us can claim a whole lot other than it just comes natural, okay? And those are things we would call natural gifts. We wrongly call them that because it's not like you can, like, what makes that natural? Uh, it, it's, it's still a gift. It's still something we didn't necessarily earn. We may have crafted it. We didn't earn it. Uh, but in addition to natural gifts, some of you who are Christians, once you became a Christian, you suddenly became good at things you weren't good at before. Like, um, being able to communicate the gospel with people. People want to talk to you about spiritual things. Can I tell you, people want to talk to me about spiritual things. So if they want to talk to you about it, that's probably some kind of gift. Or, or you can really good at stepping into people's crises. Like, I, I can, for some reason, I, I have no problem stepping into crisis moments. I did before I became a Christian. Now it's like, that's all I'm going to do. I just want to be in the middle of everyone's chaos. Bless you, by the way. God bless you. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's, here's how this whole thing works. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, now if that's, if that's different language for you, the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches that God is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, that would be Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And, and the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes to dwell in you. And when he does this, he, he gifts us for ministry, for blessing others. Now that's super important. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a minute. And he does this by two things. He does this by giving us gifts that we didn't have before. But he also does it by turning our natural gifts towards 
his kingdom instead of towards ours. He turns our natural gifts towards his kingdom instead of towards ours. And this is true of every Christian. Did you realize that? If you are a Christian here this morning, you have been gifted to serve others. And some of y'all have got the pity party thing going on your head. Right? You don't know me. I'm just not much use to anyone. I don't even know you. I know what the Bible says about you. And what the Bible says about you is you have been gifted to serve other people. You are a member of Christ's body that's there to be interconnected and bless others. Okay? So let's, let's dump the pity party. And now Paul lists some of these, okay? Some of these gifts. First he says prophecy. Prophecy, I know many of us think, is fortune-telling. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. Prophecy is, is, is telling forth God's word or applying it to the lives of people. It's not necessarily foretelling as it is forthtelling. It's telling forth God's word, applying it, applying God's word to the lives of people. He says literally to do this um, in the analog of faith. That's what it means literally. Okay, so what that means is that he's literally saying, apply God's word according to the faith, what the faith teaches, not making stuff up. Okay, next he's talking about serving, you know what that is, meeting people's needs. Then he talks about teaching and exhorting, teaching would be communicating God's truth, exhorting would be actually telling people they got to do it, uh, that's the harder thing. Um, then he talks about giving or generosity. He talks about leading others. He talks about showing mercy. Okay? Here's what I need to say about this. This is pretty self-explanatory. First and foremost, this list is not exhaustive. Paul never gives an exhaustive list of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. So there's places here, stuff in like 1 Corinthians, and all stuff where he lists out stuff. None of them are exhausting. He never says, okay, here's the authoritative, exhaustive list of gifts. If you don't got one of these, you're probably not a Christian. Like, he never says that. He gives examples and so, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have one of those, so I must not be gifted, just bear with me. It's not exhausting, okay? Two, that list is radically other-focused, okay? It's radically other-focused. God does not give gifts to his people for their enjoyment. He gives gifts to his people to bless others. We have, we have been gifted so that we might be a gift. We have been blessed so that we might be a blessing. Your gifts, my gifts, are to be used for the sake of God's people. And if not, if we become a consumer in our faith, then we are being conformed to this age, not being conformed to Jesus. Tracking? Alright. Last thing. Let's look at the shape of our love. Look down at verse 9 13. In a sense, what Paul is doing in this little bit here is he's wrapping up, summarizing what he has meant in the rest of these verses about what service is all about. Service is all about love. He says first, let love be sincere. Now stop that. This is important. Grammatically, and I know I just said that and half y'all just bolted to the door in your mind. Like, listen, stay with me. Grammatically, that phrase, love is, let love be sincere, is the only place in the original, okay, the original Greek, where there is a verb, which means that everything that comes after is supporting that Here's why this matters. All of the rest of this, from verses, you know, from right after that, verse 9, all the way through verse 13, is explaining what he means when he says, let love be sincere. And here's what he means. Well, before I get that, let me explain this. This is important for us. 
Because the Bible needs to clearly define for us what it means by love, because we mean something completely different. In our culture, in American Western culture, when we talk about love, what we mean is unconditionally affirming someone in whatever, whatever they think makes them happy, right? That's what we think love is. What does it mean to love someone? Well, it's, it's to unconditionally affirm whatever they think is going to make them happy. That's because we think love is about happiness. Love is about making people happy. It's about seeking others' happiness. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't think it's about that. The Bible doesn't say it's about seeking someone's happiness. It says it's about seeking their flourishing. And there are often times where our flourishing and our happiness do not meet. Okay? What Paul is about to say helps us to know what it will mean to love. First and foremost, it will mean hating evil. And some of you are like, wait a minute. So to let my love be sincere, I have to hate? Yes. You have to hate what God hates. Here's what he hates. Anything that distorts his image in other people. Anything in which people are living according to a different vision for their flourishing than that, that which tears down, that which divides, that which uh, hurts others, like, harms them according to his definition. We are to hate what is evil. We're to cling to the good. We're to be devoted to, in love to one another. Devoted means like, um, not just with words, but actually being, like, actually giving yourself in love to another person, to other people. Prom- like, a, according to a covenant, like being a promise based. You know, that it's different from a contract. Like, we think that loving others is based on a contract. You do this, I do this. But in the Bible, it's covenantal. It means I'm going to do this regardless of whatever you do. I'm all in. We're going to be devoted to one another in love. We're going to outdo one another in honor. Uh, the next one, interestingly, literally means to be diligent and not being lazy. I love that. I, I have no idea what that means, but I love it. It sounds great. Be diligent and not being lazy. Then it says to be on fire in the spirit, to serve the Lord, to rejoice in hope, to bear up other trials, to devote yourself to prayer, to share in the needs of other Christians, and to practice hospitality. Let me state again the obvious. This entire list is radically focused on others. It is radically focused on others. Ultimately, serving others is about using our gifts to see them flourish, to love them. It is about offering ourselves as sacrifices to see that happen. And after the service, there's going to be a, a bunch of people standing in the back that's going to give you an opportunity to see how might I serve in this church in certain ways. That's great. I want you to go figure that out. There are many other ways to serve as well. Here's what's important. We are free to fully give ourselves. To use all that has been given to us by God. We are free to see others flourish. Because we know that we have been given all that we could ever want in Jesus. Because he has blessed us in reconciling us to God. Because he has given us a gift we cannot earn. Because we did not earn it, we cannot lose it. We are free to risk much in showing Jesus to others. So that they might encounter him. So that they might come to know him. But thank you for every opportunity that we get to hear your word proclaimed to us. We pray that your spirit would apply to our hearts. Lord, help us to, to believe and to trust in the fact that you have served us such that we have no need to serve ourselves anymore. Christian or not, Mr. we all need to believe that. Lord, for my friends here in this place that, that haven't yet trusted in Christ, I ask that you would work in us even right now if they would do so. For the rest of us, would you work in us to give us hearts that not just think that it would be a 
good ideas to go help other people that would be, but instead would be passionate about it. Knowing that you have created us and redeemed us for just that. So Lord, let us be a church that lives into what we were made for. All through the power of the Spirit, the great work of our Savior Jesus, according to your